Hey guys, welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. This is your host, Rachel Mansfield. And can we just please take a moment to swoon a bit over today's guest? We have the well-known functional medicine doctor and my personal friend, Dr. Frank Lemon, on the show today. Now, this episode has been a very long time coming. Dr. Lippman and I actually first met a few years ago when we were both asked to partner on a restaurant concept together. I never told you guys about this because it is such a long story. I'm not going to go into the many details of that since clearly it didn't come to fruition. But the silver lining of all this was getting to meet Dr. Lippman. I then was able to see him as a patient when I was trying to balance my hormones to regulate my period a bit better and also just better manage my high cortisol levels, which you guys know I've actually openly spoken about a lot. And Dr. Lippman pretty much sat me down and told me I was going to die if I didn't slow the beep down and manage my stress better. Dr. Lippman is truly one of the most intelligent, caring, and honest wellness experts and someone that I just trust so, so much. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He knows his stuff. And literally every time I get blood results back for anything or if I have like a random question or problem, I call him immediately. In this episode, we dive into a handful of topics you guys had suggested over on Instagram. We really get to touch on so many different things in just one episode. So This episode is packed with information, which is pretty awesome, but definitely listen back, take notes, like refer to this episode because it's filled with just so, so, so much. A few of the topics we touch on include vitamin D and immunity and the importance of that. We also debunk a lot of wellness trends and get Dr. Lippman's thoughts on things like CBD oil and celery juice, colonics. I just picked his brain on pretty much everything. He also shares tips for anti-aging, better sleep, what oils we should be cooking with, his favorite nuts and the basically the top five like healthiest foods we should all be eating. We talk about bloat, constipation, and so much more. And the best part, I didn't even think I was going to be able to share this with you guys until Dr. Lippman had told me, but he's accepting new patients now that he's running his practice virtually. So definitely listen towards the end when he shares more info on that. But if anyone is looking for a functional medicine doctor, as Frank says, you found him and definitely, definitely reach out. If you guys do enjoy this episode, please take the moment to share it over on Instagram and tag both myself and Dr. Lippman. I absolutely love seeing the stories when you guys are listening to episodes and seeing which ones resonate the best with you guys. And if you have a chance to rate and review the podcast, that is always so, so helpful in supporting the show. Thank you guys so much. Now, before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Simple Mills. At this point, you guys know that my love affair and obsession with Simple Mills is out of control. I even had the founder and CEO, Caitlin Smith, on the podcast last month, and it is one of the most downloaded episodes yet because apparently you guys are just as obsessed with Simple Mills as I am. Lately, I've been snacking on their crunchy cookies pretty much every day, and they are made with such simple ingredients like their nut and seed flour blend, they're sweetened with coconut sugar, they have no gums or artificial anything. They also happen to be grain-free for anyone who can eat grains, which Dr. Lippman actually speaks to in this episode. And there's no corn. Like they're just made with the ingredients you find in your own kitchen, which I love. The chocolate chip ones are my personal go-to. And I even use like their crunchy cookies to make a lot of recipes for like pie crust. And I sneak them into so many things. I'll link to all my favorite recipes using these cookies in the show notes, as well as where you can snack some of them and all of the flavors for you. Now let's dive into today's episode. Dr. Littman, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show today. As you know, I am one of your biggest fans ever. I wish I could just run around with you and follow you all day so I can absorb all of the amazing information and wealth of knowledge that you've absorbed over the last, I don't know, decades at this point, doing what you do. And you help so many patients. And I know I personally have seen you and I just you're someone I truly look up to so much. And I think that you have so much amazing info to share. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I've compiled a bunch of questions that, you know, some are kind of like health and wellnessy, like myths and fads that I kind of want to like debunk with you and pick your thoughts on. And then also just some overall general health questions that my community had um, submitted. And Everyone was super excited when they heard that you were going to be on the show. So the first question, 
what is the deal with vitamin D? I feel like right now there's a lot of talk about it, especially with like immunity, but what are your thoughts on taking vitamin D? What quantity do we need? And like any recommendations? Right. I think vitamin D is a crucial nutrient to take. Vitamin D is actually a hormone. It's a pre-hormone. It's not really a vitamin. And I think there's adequate research. And in my experience, I've seen it help too many patients to, to not ignore that everyone should probably be taking vitamin D. The, the, the good thing about vitamin D is you can have your level checked. And then if your level is normal and you, maybe you're getting enough sun, which some people do, which is not common, uh, some people have a normal level. If, you're, if your level is over 50, then you may not need to take vitamin D. But I'd say 80 to 90% of people usually do need vitamin D. And, and most of those people need probably around 5,000 and sometimes even more units a day. So we under-treat vitamin D deficiency. So, and vitamin D now, especially with COVID-19, there's enough research to show that there may be some correlation between worse outcomes and vitamin D deficiency, especially in African-American communities and Latino communities. So uh, vitamin D is, is a crucial vitamin, but as I said, it's probably not a vitamin, it's more of a hormone. It's a crucial substance, nutrient that everyone needs and, and most people seem to be deficient in. Is that something that, you know, you can't, you don't, it's not as easy to get from food. You know, it has to be like through a supplement or sun. Yes, yeah, definitely better from the sun or supplements, a vitamin D3 uh, supplement. You can get it from food, but you, you don't get as much from food. There are some foods, some fish, oily fishes have it, but for the most part, you're getting it from sun or supplements. Okay. So 5,000 I use. Well, you should get your, your, your level checked because vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin. So if you can uh, take too much and it can cause problems. So it's not benign if your levels are too high, but that's very unusual. I'd say most people need probably around 5,000, but some people don't. So don't just take 5,000. Although during COVID-19, without people's levels, when people were asking, I was saying, just start with 5,000. But it's something that's easily measured, your level. Speaking of COVID, what are your takes on COVID-19 and everything that's been going on? Like, What can we all do to take care of ourselves and protect ourselves during this time? Right. So my take is, I agree with you, you know, wearing a mask, washing your hands, social distancing, all very important. But, you know, what we found uh, over the last six months is there's a correlation with uh, metabolic health and how you respond to COVID-19. So people with obesity, diabetes, especially had worse outcomes. In fact, a lot of the mortality and the deaths have been in people who've been obese and, and, and diabetic. So metabolic health or what I would call sugar, you know, how you metabolize sugar and carbs is key. So apart from the standard advice given, I think it's important to watch your carb intake and, and take care of your metabolic health. And probably the most important thing you can do at this stage is eat a low-carb diet. So the sugar and the processed food is bad news for you anyway, but during COVID-19, even worse. Makes sense. What do you think when there, you know, everyone's like, keeps saying that when there's a vaccine, this is like going to go away, this is going to get better. Do you think that as soon as there's a vaccine and this is actually all going to go away or this is something we're going to be living with for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I don't think it goes away. We're going to be living with it. I mean, I'm not against the vaccine. If they develop a safe vaccine, I think that's great. First, we've got to see that it works, and, and secondly, that it's actually safe. If that's the case, I'm all for a vaccine. It doesn't mean it's going to go away. And I don't think COVID-19 is going to be the last bug that's going to come along that's going to cause havoc with us. You know, what we, because of what we've done to the environment, um, I think factory farming could be a big source of the next type drug resistant or some type of bug like this. I think the way we're living our lives, uh, destroying the planet, 
I think we're going to get more and more of these bugs. So COVID-19, when we have a vaccine, may be better, but then there'll be COVID-20 or whatever we want to call it. So um, I think there'll be more and more of it. So it behooves all of us to keep our immune system strong. Yeah. No, it's so crazy. No one could have imagined anything like this. I remember when Jordan like said he like, couldn't go to work into the city for a while. I'm like, oh, it was the last two weeks. And now here we are like almost six months later and it's still yep. just there. Now for going, kind of going back to like vitamins and supplements a little, what are, which vitamins and supplements do you think that like pretty much everyone should be taking? That's like just general, like good health practice. Well, I think... That's a harder question. I think vitamin D is probably one of them. You know, over and above that, it gets a little bit more difficult. You know, I in my practice do a lot of blood tests. Sometimes we do genetic testing. Sometimes we do poop testing, whatever it is. But I think everyone's a little bit different. I think um, vitamin D is one of them. You know, some people need uh, omega 3s, fish oils, other people don't. We can actually measure those levels. Probably a multivitamin as a insurance policy, a good multivitamin with um, some bees, methylated bees is not a bad idea. But over and above that, it can get tricky. I mean, not tricky. I just think, you know, I take a lot of vitamins when I remember. I recommend vitamins to people, but I try to target them to people's needs. Some people need more stuff or vitamins to target their gut. Some people, especially as they're getting older like me, take anti-aging vitamins. I take more supplements now that have anti-aging effects. What I are some anti- of those? I have an, a longevity book coming out in end of October, which hopefully you're going to promote to your audience. Of course. Oh, that's so exciting. Another book. Oh, um, so depends on your age, depends on what's going on in your life. So I try and I see supplements as, you know, obviously supplementing a good diet, but then I target it to to someone's needs. You know, everyone should probably take a multivitamin in this day and age and and vitamin D. Over and above that, I think everyone's a little bit different. You spoke about the longevity anti-aging vitamins. I know if I don't ask you more about those, my mom is going to like kill me. So why... Are some of those? I have to get my book. Of course, I'm going to get your book. But in the meantime, so I could help her. What are some things you take for anti-aging, or like a little sneak preview you can give us to your book? Yeah, I I think there are a couple of nutrients that, um, for instance, can affect inflammation. There's some nutrients that can affect mitochondrial function, um, in particular, which are great for anti-aging. So. Things like coenzyme Q10 can be helpful. Nicotinamide, diriboside, NR or NMN can, you know, have becoming very popular. I take it. I'm a big fan of quercetin for all sorts of things, the immune system as well as anti-aging. Um, the book actually covers is it covers immunity and and longevity, which sort of go together to to a certain extent. So quercetin has become one of my favorite uh, supplements to take. It's got anti-inflammatory effects, has some anti-aging effects. It's got um, antihistamine effects for allergies. So it's got a lot of effects. Curcumin is another great supplement. So there are lots. And what age do you recommend start doing like longevity supplements? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, as I said earlier, I think different where you are in your life sort of it sort of will determine what supplements you take. Some of those supplements you probably don't need and your your mother will do better for. I think once you hit around 40, things start to change. You go from building and uh, reproducing to sort of more maintaining and preserving. So I'd say around 40 45, maybe the cutoff where you start shifting things. But I think in your 30s, you need to start preparing your body for a long life anyway. You want to enjoy, but it doesn't mean you need to take those supplements. You know, the other things, you need to stop eating sugar and exercising and dealing with stress and watching your sleep. But I think once you start getting into your 40s, things shift a little bit. 
Hmm. Now, actually speaking of sleep a little bit, I feel like nowadays people are so obsessed with getting like X amount of hours of sleep. And if they don't get that amount of sleep, like their whole day is thrown off. What is, you know, they say what six to eight hours is the most ideal amount of sleep. Like, do you agree with that? And like, are there any natural supplements you recommend to like help promote better sleep habits? Right. Basically, I recommend seven to nine hours. And my next book out in May is on sleep, by the way. So I have a book on scenes here. (laughs) Yes. I have a book on longevity coming out at the end of October, book on sleep in May. Oh my God, that's amazing. So good that you're asking these questions. Um, So sleep is very interesting. I think seven to nine hours is probably better than six to eight. Um, But once again, everyone's a little bit different. I think I like the idea that people are starting to take sleep a little bit more seriously. It was just probably five years ago, or not so much your generation, but the generation before you ignored sleep and would push themselves and thought sleep wasn't as important. I think it is getting into the the culture that sleep is important. So um, sleep's interesting because sleep's probably one of the best thing you can do for your immune system as well and for aging. So taking sleep seriously is important. Sleep is often a result of what happens during the day. It's not just about what you do at night. Sleep to me is usually an imbalance of some other, something else going on in your life. It's often related to stress, could be related to not getting enough light during the day, could be related to being um, not exercising. So there are many factors that affect your sleep. In terms of supplements, you know, once again, as with supplementing for a good diet, supplements are not the answer for sleep, but absolutely can help. And especially, you know, I would rather try supplements before sleeping pills, which, you know, have all sorts of problems. So the nutrients that I tend to use are are calming nutrients at night, GABA, L-theanine. If someone's rhythm, body rhythms are off, I use melatonin. Melatonin of sleep hormone, but it only really works when you want to correct rhythm. It's not not really a sleep supplement per se. And then CBD. I'm a big fan of CBD. I've seen CBD help with so many people and sleep. I love CBD. That was actually one of my other questions for you or your thoughts on CBD oil. And by the time this podcast comes out, I'll have announced that, that I'm pregnant. And I used to take CBD oil before, like, as soon as I would wake up in the morning, you know, I've had very high cortisol and stress levels and it really helped me manage that, which was amazing. And then I, w- I take it at night, like a sleep CBD. Um, it was actually like a blend, like a probiotic and had CBD from Garden of Life, which I really liked. And I've also used like a beam, had um, a CBD supplement that actually has melatonin in it too. And it was great. And then when I got pregnant, I obviously wasn't comfortable taking CBD or anything That's anymore. Cool. So now I take magnesium firstly and that too. Magnesium is great. I forgot to mention that. I love magnesium. Yeah. Perfect. And now let's dive into CBD oil a little bit. Would you mind just walking through kind of why it's safe to take? I think a lot of times, like I know like my mom would be like, no, I'm going to get high. And she has no idea what she's actually like talking about. So what are some of the benefits of taking CBD oil and what should you look for in like a quality CBD brand? Sure. So CBD, uh, it is tricky because there's so much on the market now, but in terms of your mom's concern, CBD doesn't have those psycho, what do you call them? Those effects where you get high. That's the THC. You know, marijuana will have THC and CBD. So it's a THC that has the psychoactive effects that make you high. CBD does not do that. And in fact, for it to be just called CBD, it has to have less than 0.3 milligrams, I think, of THC. So that's usually not a problem um, if you're just taking CBD. You don't get high. But it does calm you, and it does, and different strains work differently for different people. So it's hard to, to recommend different brands, although there are brands that we recommend, but you've got to see what works for you. It does tend to calm you. It does tend to help with sleep can have anti-inflammatory effects. I mainly use it for for anxiety and for sleep 
in my patients. I often take it at night. I love it. But it can be used for inflammation and all, all sorts of things. And choosing a brand can be tricky. You know, I tend to use Alchemist Kitchen and Charlotte's Web, but there are lots of other good brands out there. I mean, I'm definitely not attached to either of those two. Um, I've found those two to be helpful. And, you know, I usually start with 20 milligrams a dose, but some, you know, for sleep, you often need 40 milligrams, sometimes even more. You've got to see how much, you've got to take it, see how you respond. And go from there. If 20 milligrams doesn't help, go to 40 milligrams. If 40 milligrams doesn't help, you may need more. So everyone's a little bit different. It usually doesn't have side effects. Some people feel a bit groggy in the morning. They can. Some people, if they take too much, have uh, told me they do get some psychoactive effects, with especially Charlotte's Web. Maybe they put more THC in. It's hard to say. But if you're not in New York, some... Uh, states allow THC and you know often people combine CBD and THC with even better effects but in New York we're not allowed to use the THC so I don't have that much experience with the THC part but I think it's a great um, a drug it's really like a drug I, I love it I think it's got a lot of beneficial effects is there anyone who shouldn't be taking CBD oil like besides uh, if you're pregnant obviously um, if you're nursing, I wouldn't recommend it. And what you have to be aware of with CBD is it can in, you know, interact with other medications you're taking. So you just got to be careful if you're taking other medications. If you take it, you got to see what happens. But um, you know, I wouldn't give it to kids and I wouldn't take it if you're pregnant or nursing. But otherwise, and just watch you know, what happens if you are on other medication because it absolutely can, you know, uh, react with other medications. So otherwise, it's pretty benign. Now, what about when you are pregnant? And I'm almost asking this like selfishly. Like I know I personally, when I am pregnant, I don't feel stressed or anxious. I don't have a racy heart. It's like truly when I feel like my best internal self. Mm -hmm. But what for those who like, you know, a lot of women get pregnant and they're really anxious and they, they feel stressed and they're overwhelmed. And what are some like safe supplements or things that someone can take if they're pregnant for stress, anxiety, or sleep, or anything? Right. Well, exercise, meditation, breathing, breathing exercises, things like that, yoga, obviously listening to relaxing music, all of those are obviously benign. The two supplements that I usually would recommend are magnesium, which you mentioned, and L-theanine. Oh. L-theanine is an amino acid that's pretty benign. So those would be the two supplements that um, if you are going to take that I would recommend. Thank you. Okay. I'll look up that second one. And then in addition to CBD oil, what else can you take when you're feeling stressed and anxious, not carrying child? Well, um, you know, once again, the most important things you can do are learning to self-regulate your nervous system. So that's where, you know, the breathing, the meditation, the yoga, even exercise, things like that become more and more important. In terms of, sub, you know, um, by the way, the other really helpful thing is an Epsom salts bath at night because of the magnesium. That can be very calming for people and help sleep. So a hot bath with Epsom salts is another recommendation. If you're not pregnant, you know, then I would add something like GABA, gamma aminobutyric acid. GABA and L-theanine work well together, various companies that make that supplement. And you often need to look at the gut because the gut is called the second brain. And often when there's a dysbiosis, there's an imbalance in the microbiome in your gut, that can affect your mood. So I always look at the gut and see what we can do to help correct that imbalance because that often helps anxiety and even depression sometimes. So, you know, anxiety, depression are can be tricky. I mean, once again, everyone's a little bit different. You've got to see what's going on in your life and adjust accordingly. But it, rather than just putting a, a Band-Aid over, the, you know, just taking a drug or just suppressing the anxiety, we've got to try and work out why 
there is the anxiety and then get your body to learn techniques that can regulate and, and, and balance your nervous system you know, by yourself rather than relying on a practitioner or a drug or a supplement even. How would you know if something is like off balance in your gut? Like what are symptoms of that to know? So sometimes, occasionally, not some, occasionally you don't have symptoms, but for the most part, people will know they get bloated soon after they eat. They got a lot of gas, they're constipated, they have loose stools, they have reflux. There are usually some gastrointestinal symptoms going on when their microbiome is off. It's very rare, although it's possible not to have any symptoms and have a, a problem in your gut. Most times people have bloating and gas, you know, especially soon after they eat, they loose stools, constipation, they're just not pooping well, things like that. Sometimes pain, sometimes reflux. So they're usually gastrointestinal symptoms. And how do you test for test for your gut? Like is that blood work or is it something more like a poop test? Like how do you like how do you well, know? Sometimes you don't even need to do a test. Some, you know, oftentimes people come in and I can tell what's going on without just clinically from their symptoms and their history. And then we treat them with herbs and dietary changes. Sometimes there's some stool tests that can be helpful. Sometimes they're not helpful, but they definitely can be helpful. You send a poop test off and you look for parasites, you look for yeast, you look for other bacteria in your gut. You look to see if you have a leaky gut. So you, there are markers that can tell you if there's a problem. Um, and some occasionally the blood tests can be helpful, but usually for digestive stuff, it's it's your history, your examination, and your um, your symptoms and the poop test. Hmm. Now, right now, I think there's a lot of kind of orthorexic tendencies happening in the wellness space in terms of like food and you know a lot of people becoming afraid of food and then that like stressing them out even more and then that could I mean I'm not obviously not a doctor but I feel like that could even cause more stress and an imbalance in your gut in general like being told to cut out x y and z and you know what are your thoughts on all like so many experts preaching all of these ways of eating but then sometimes it actually could be like harming the patient or the consumer more so than like helping them, which obviously the intention is to help people. I agree. I agree a hundred percent with that. I think that's a big problem. Sort of doctor induced orthorexia or whatever you want to call it. I think that's a problem and it's not uncommon either, especially when um, a lot of the time the food is not the issue, but the gut is your, the issue. So, when the gut is off, you're going to react to various foods. So people do these very strict, they avoid a million types of foods and demonizing certain foods when it's not necessarily the food and, and it's the person's gut, which is not assimilating and digesting, absorbing and just metabolizing the food properly. So it's often not the food and the gut. Having said that, our food system is so damaged that more and more foods have become a problem. So you have to be a little bit more careful with your, so it's a fine, fine balance. And you, you, you know, what I do as a practitioner, when I see someone, you've got to see where someone's head's at. You can't make them even more neurotic about food. You've got to be very careful of that. So I think that is an issue. I do think um, there are certain foods that, you know, I take out of most people's diets, whether it's sugar, processed foods, Often grains depends, um, you know, over and above that, it can be tricky. And, and it often is the gut that needs to be corrected first before you decide that the food is the problem. It's often the gut. Now, for someone who say like has, and I guess I can even just speak to myself like more personally for this example, like I have a regular digestive system. I don't have any allergies to like gluten or dairy or anything, but you know, I like to say I live my life almost like you could say like the 80-20 rule where like 80% of the time, yeah, I'm focusing mostly on healthy fats, protein, and like carbs as in like sweet potatoes and sprouted grains and things like that. But when I go out for pizza with my family and we're going right. to a restaurant is what it is, like that's okay to do, right? Like I think that's <laughs> where a lot of people get scared. Like, you know, if they're not eating and they're regimented. Yeah, I think that's healthy. I think you've got to look at the 
context of that. I mean, I think eating a meal, like not that I'm recommending those meals, but if that's working for you, I think it's important to go out with your family and enjoy those times. And if it's not bothering you, then it's not a problem. Um, as you get older, it may become more of a problem. And if it does, then you've got to avoid it. But if it's if that's working for you, that's fine. I, I mean, I think we've got to be realistic. I think going out with your family and enjoying the meal at a restaurant is important. I think it's probably more important than avoiding the food. So I'm all for that. But if those foods are giving you a problem, if you have an autoimmune disease, if you have a certain problem, then you just got to be a realistic and you may need to be stricter. So it's, it is determined by maybe your age, your health, um, by, by a number of factors. But, you know, what you're doing, I think it's fine. It's not bothering you and you're fine with it. So I think that's a healthy way to do it. I think that's where sometimes I feel almost like ignorant because a lot of the times my like readers will DM me and like not understand how I can eat certain things. It's like I don't have allergies. Like I don't have I'm grateful for that, but I don't have any conditions that are inhibiting me from eating like the foods that I want to eat. I just eat healthier for most of the time because that's what I crave. But if I that's see- what works, Rachel, yeah. if that's what works for you, that's fine. I just think we all need to be realistic. I know and look, I love sugar, I love crap sugar ice cream but i know if i eat too much of it or whatever i try not to eat it when i eat it i don't feel great so gets to a point where you make that choice and as you get older you tend to need to eat less and definitely eat less crap so yeah i'm not rigid either i think being rigid is is a problem all on its own yeah, I think it can be more, I mean, just speaking from my own experience, it was more harmful for me mentally and physically to stress yeah. over food than it was just to eat the food and move on with my life. I agree. I think that's important. I think that's quite correct. I 100% agree with that. Now, what are like five, I guess you could say, quote, like safe foods that Pete, like pretty much work for everyone, like, or like almost even five, like the most nutrient packed foods that you can eat to really like get the best bang for your buck? Well, I think generally you want to eat nutrient-dense foods. So, you know, there's this myth out there that animal protein is a problem. I definitely don't agree with that. Although as you get older, I think you need to eat a little bit less animal protein because it affects your longevity genes. So I talk about that in the book. But when you're younger, I think if they're well-sourced, you know, eggs, pasture-raised eggs, grass-finished beef, you know, I think those are healthy, nutrient-dense foods. So uh, sweet. you mentioned sweet potatoes. You know, the root vegetables, tuber vegetables, all I think are fine. Green vegetables. Now, once we start getting into vegetables, some people actually have problems eating, digesting vegetables. Now, I think people need to eat vegetables, but sometimes those vegetables can be a problem too. So... Um, what are five? I would say eggs, although some people can be sensitive to eggs as well. So it's very tricky. I mean, I think you need to learn about your body. I'm a big fan of eggs. I'm a big fan of grass-fed and finished beef. I'm a big fan uh, as long, you know, well-sourced animal protein. Although, as I said, as I get older, I eat less of it. So I think those are generally good nutrient-dense foods. And then they the vegetables. Most vegetables are nutrient-dense and important to eat, although some people do have some problems with certain vegetables. Now, once we get to grains, I don't know if they're they're not really nutrient-dense and I don't think they're essential. So fruits, some people have a problem with too many fruits. Berries, I think, would be the best fruits. But some fruits, especially seasonal during the summer, I eat too much fruit, but um, I'll stop after the summer. So I think try eat nutrient-dense seasonal local foods as much as possible and, and uh, well-sourced rather than, you know, most of your food should not have a label, although you need to know how to read labels. And that's the way I look at food rather than I think animal protein is bad. I don't know. I'm definitely not from that school of thought, I think, you know, um, well-sourced animal protein is actually 
pretty nutrient-dense foods. I mean, you can even go into a lot of people are eating organ meats, so particularly nutrient-dense. I mean, some people have a problem with that, but those are particularly nutrient-dense. So it all depends where your head's at. I, I, I do think the demonizing of animal protein is probably not correct for, for most people. Some people do well on a vegetarian diet. Few people do well on a vegan diet. You really need to be educated and it's much harder, but everyone's different. Yeah. I mean, I keep hearing more and more, like I have a lot of friends who are plant-based and vegan. I was pescatarian for five years and I was the most nutrient deficient person ever. Like it didn't work for me, but I do try and like sneak in as many plant-based options as possible just to like obviously balance everything out. What are like your favorite healthy cooking oils and nuts to absorb for like anyone who is plant-based? Well, the cooking oils to avoid are obviously the, all the vegetable oils because when you heat them, those are problems. So I recommend coconut oil, avocado oil to cook with, but, but extra virgin olive oil, I think is perfectly healthy, good oil to cook with. Some people say, well, it's got a low heat point, yeah. but it has antioxidants in there that balance it. So I think extra virgin olive oil is definitely a healthy cooking oil, but so are coconut oil and avocado oil. I have all those in our, in our pantry. I actually use sesame oil sometimes for like Asian inspired dishes. Yeah, it's just got a taste. It's got a specific taste, but that's not a bad oil to cook with as well. Yeah. And what about nuts? What are like the, your few favorite nuts that you like to eat? Well, nuts interesting because some people also have a problem with nuts and nuts you know, I think what I found, and as much as I didn't want to acknowledge it in the beginning, was I, you know, I put, I often put people on low carb diets when people want to lose weight, and say you can eat as many nuts as you want. And when people come in, they're eating a lot of nuts. They actually don't lose weight, maybe because it's got so much fat, and um, you, you you probably want more protein. I mean, depending on the car, I mean, fat and carbs actually are interesting the way they work together. But I love macadamia nuts, almonds, cashews, remember, are actually quite high in carbs, although they're delicious. They're not really a nut, that's your legume. So almond nuts, walnuts, macadamia nuts, Brazil nuts. Um, I love nuts. Just maybe don't eat that many. And some people actually have a problem with nuts. Hmm. I'm assuming you don't really like peanuts. I know they're a lagoon. They're not a nut. Yeah, I'm not a fan of peanuts. I'm not a fan of peanuts. But as you said, they're not a nut. Now, what is it, though, about them that, like, I'm just a huge peanut butter. I eat, try and eat, like, a, the best quality of peanut butter. Yeah, no. I think that's fine. I don't think that's a major problem. You know, people talk about the aflatoxin on, on peanuts, and it's not, it's a legume. Uh, I don't know if peanuts are so bad. Having okay. some peanuts. I don't think peanut butter is so bad either. It's all the other stuff they put. If it's peanut butter is made with peanuts, yeah. and yeah, there are, there's some good brands of peanut, but I think that's fine. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. Now, in terms of bloat, I know you spoke, we spoke briefly about the gut before, and I meant to ask this earlier, but you know, a lot of times people really do experience severe blow where I'm like seeing on Instagram, I, you would think that they're pregnant. Like I'm like, yeah. Oh my God. And like my heart breaks for anyone who has to, who has to deal with anything like that. What are some of your tips just for like for common bloat that someone could take or like probiotics? Like what can you do if you're feeling very bloated? Well, first of all, it's very, very, very common. It's one of the commonest things I see. And most of the time it's from what we would call SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So that's what we talked about earlier. The microbiome is imbalanced and the microbiome is off. And actually one of the things you shouldn't probably do is take probiotics initially anyway, because okay. probiotics can make it worse. So oftentimes you need to, um, and this is somewhere where diet doesn't often help either. I mean, sometimes a low FODMAP diet um, can help, but ultimately you need to treat the bugs in your gut. So there are, there's a SIBO test, there's a breath test that can sort of confirm if you have SIBO, but 
Oftentimes, I don't even do the SIBO test. I just treat with herbal formulas that actually treat the bugs in the gut. So often when people are, are bloating like that, it's because of this, what we would call dysbiosis. Sometimes it's SIBO, but you've got to kill the bugs in your gut first. So probiotics are definitely not the first stage. You've got to take antimicrobials, herbs that kill the bugs in your gut first. This is probably every third patient that comes in to see me has a variation of this. So you've got to, you know, it's a stepwise thing. First, you've got to kill the bugs in your gut. And then sometimes you need probiotics. Sometimes you need to give nutrients to heal a leaky gut, which is a result. Sometimes it's a fungus, a candida you need to treat. So it's all, can get a little bit complicated, but it's often not the right thing to give a probiotic. Sometimes people get help with digestive enzymes. But usually a, a case when there's so much bloat, it's because of an overgrowth of bad bacteria that needs to be, and those, you've got to get rid of those bad bacteria. So ultimately, it sounds like if you're having severe bloat or common bloat, you should see some a practitioner to like Probably help. You should see someone who knows what they're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's a few kind of like health myths or like trends that I, I was hoping to kind of debunk with you and get your thoughts on. The first mm-hmm. being celery juice. What are your thoughts on celery juice? Well, I mean, my first reaction was always it's nonsense. I mean, and then I've had so many people swear by it. What I don't like about it, you know, people drinking a lot of it, it's a lot of sugar. So I'm not against celery juice. I mean, people swear by it. Some people have said it's helped them, so I've got to believe that. I don't see why or what, or I don't ever recommend it, but if if it's helping someone, that's fine. I'm not against it, except just watch all the sugar. There's a lot more sugar than you'd think in, 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 celery, in a glass of celery juice. I wouldn't even thought that. I thought it was all like water-based. I didn't even realize No, there's that. sugar. We checked it out. Um, can't remember how many grams, but people are drinking one, two, three glasses of celery juice. It starts adding up to a lot of sugar. So that's my biggest concern about it. Otherwise, and is it a cure-all for everything? I don't think so, but do, some people do swear by it. Yeah, I had one. You know Callie Levesque? She's like a, a nutritionist, a celebrity nutritionist, and she right. has come to the show. She's a good friend of mine, and I feel like she also just phrased it so well. She said, we all know celery is like good for you, but it's not like a miracle cure. Like if it yeah. helps you, it helps you, but like, you know, it's not mm. going to cure everything. Um, what is the deal with colonics and are they like actually beneficial? I feel like I see a lot of people posting about them. I've never had one and I'm always like, oh, maybe I should get one one day. Like, is that worth doing? Like who's the prime candidate? Yeah. The prime cases are people who are really constipated and can't poop. I mean, once again, that's another... F- whatever you want to call it, fat people, some, a lot of people swear by it. Um, I mean, this has been going for years. Many years ago, I went for a number just to see what it did nothing. So I think um, I'm not against colonics if people want to do them. The only time I really refer people for colonics are when they're constipated. I don't know how effective they are. Same like celery juice. You have people who swear by them. If they, if it helps you, then that's great. What is actually can you else can you do for like constipation? Like if you aren't going to that, I know in the second trimester for pregnancy, I remember with Ezra, it was so hard to go to the bathroom. I use magnesium citrate for pregnant okay. women. Magnesium citrate is always my first go-to, and then I sometimes add trifola, and then once again, you know, liquids, water, changing someone's diet, but. As a supplement, magnesium citrate is my goal. If someone, if people aren't getting better, then I do send them for colonic. Okay. And what would be like, how long, how many days until you know you're actually constipated? Like two days, three days? Yeah, I mean, you should be theoretically pooping every day, but if you poop every second day, it's probably, you know, if you have a well-formed poop, it's probably not the end of the world. But ideally, you should be pooping at least once a day, yeah. Now, what are your thoughts on caffeine consumption? I feel like right now it gets a lot of bad rap, like coffee or drink matcha instead of coffee. What? Yeah, I'm not against coffee. In the if coffee, if you and you can actually check your genetic. If you're a slow metabolizer of caffeine, 
and it's affecting your sleep, then you've got to watch how late you have the caffeine. But I don't, if you have a one or two cups of coffee a day, it's, it's definitely not bad for you and it may actually be good for you. So, and tea, I think, is even better for you than coffee. But I drink quite a bit of tea, but I often have coffee in the morning because I do a lot of intermittent fasting and I'll have coffee in the morning. But um, I think coffee, there's def- I'm definitely not against coffee unless it's affecting your sleep, unless you're having side effects. And the problem with coffee, you can get addicted and you've got to watch that and it's just another drug. But I'm not definitely not against coffee and I'm definitely not against tea. I talk about it in the longevity book. I think coffee does have a lot of positive effects and tea as well, probably even more. What's your favorite kind of tea? Um, I like English, you know, English black tea, English breakfast tea. And then in the evening, I have rooibos tea, what you call red bush tea here, which is a South African thing. So I drink rooibos at night and English breakfast during the day. Ooh, I got to look into that nighttime one. I love tea, especially because right now. Delicious. Oh, rooibos is delicious. Oh, rooibos, I don't know what you guys call it. Red is make, sometimes goes by red bush. Rooibos means red bush. But, uh, oh, okay. I have heard of that. But, what about alcohol consumption? What are like, you know, if you like to drink, what are like the safest forms of alcohol? Well, I don't know if there's uh, alcohol is a toxin. Um, I'm not a big fan of alcohol, but if it's drunk in the context of family, friends around a table, it's talk, you know, it's the same as your pizza story. I'm not a fan of alcohol, but if you're going out with friends and you're drinking, a, you know, and socializing, it's fine. Um, you know, too much alcohol is a problem. And alcohol, if it's affecting your sleep, it's a problem. So you just got to be realistic. In terms of, uh, in some alcohols, you know, beer is, is often gluten. Wine has, can have quite a bit of sugar, as can a lot of the, you know, drinks you, you, you'll get when you go out. But, um, you know, if you want to have a drink, you know, I'm a, if I'm going to choose one, it would be tequila. That's my mom's favorite. That used to be my favorite tequila. Tequila on the rocks with some lime, so there was no added sugar into it. Right. I did like Cosmos when I turned twenty-one, and I yeah, Cosmos are full of sugar. That's the problem. Yeah. But I was twenty-one. I was young. I was young. Right. How old are you now? Guess. I can't guess. Not on on here. Come on, you can see my face. You are thirty. Yeah, I just turned thirty in June. Very good. I know. Ten more years, and then I'll start taking all your anti-aging supplements too. Now, something that I personally like, love, and admire about you is that when a patient, you know, it's time to incorporate both like Eastern and Western medicine, like you're all for it. When I was seeing you to try and regulate my menstrual cycle, we both were like, okay, it's time to see like a reproductive endocrinologist. Like this, something else is missing here, and I think that's something that's really respectable because it's not a common factor to find in a functional medicine doctor. Now, when you're someone who does have to take antibiotics or some type of medication and you're worried about like your gut imbalance, what are some, like something that you can do or take while you're on antibiotics to help balance out your gut for whatever the issue may be? Well, first of all, you need to see if you really need the antibiotic. If you really need the antibiotic, you take the antibiotic. I... I'm not against antibiotics. I'm just against the overuse and unnecessary use of antibiotics. The only probiotic that I recommend while or soon after taking antibiotics is Saccharomyces boulardii. But otherwise, I would wait on the probiotics while you take antibiotics. Just Saccharomyces boulardii is actually a yeast type of probiotic. So, and that can prevent C. diff, which is can be a side effect of some antibiotics, especially if you take them a lot. So the only probiotic, all I recommend for people during antibiotics is Saccharomyces boulardii. And then you've got to see, and then sometimes you've got to rebuild the gut and it all depends. If it's damaged the gut, how much it's damaged the gut, sometimes it doesn't. So you've got to, you know, once again, I, I do think we need to practice targeted medicine or personalized medicine. They know this generic stuff is does fine for one person, doesn't work for the th- second person, and does harm to the third person. So you've got to be, just be careful. 
No, it's very true. Everyone's so different in what, what their bodies can handle. What are the things that people do that they think are healthy, but they're not that kind of like drive you crazy. Like someone thinks they're doing this because they're like, Oh, I'm so healthy. And you're like, this isn't healthy. Well, I think vegan diets, especially when you're young and want to have kids um, and then putting your kids on those diets. I don't, I think you've got to be very, very careful because unless you're very knowledgeable and aware that with a vegan diet, you're going to get deficiencies in certain nutrients and you supplement with those, then that's fine. But I think kids shouldn't be on vegan diets either. So that's one thing. I think over medication, and so the, as we get older, people taking too many unnecessary medications and ignoring the side effects of medications like someone has heartburn, they take a PPI like Nexium, and then they just stay on a Nexium, not realizing that over time Nexium is going to affect their body's absorption of nutrients, but also can affect uh, their microbiome and cause a dysbiosis and then all sorts of problems. I think that that drives me crazy. The overuse of antibiotics drives me crazy because we're seeing the result, the consequence of that in your generation, so many autoimmune problems. What else drives me crazy? Yeah, and not not understanding when someone's sick and they need Western medicine. You know, Western medicine's not all bad. There's there's a place for Western medicine, and when we need it, we need it. To think it's all bad and don't realize that we need it sometimes is a problem too. No, I totally agree, especially as someone. I mean, I started my family, and it helps it with helps of that. You know, it's been. There's a time and a place for it, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, well, Dr. Lippman, thank you so much. You are absolutely amazing. Where can everyone find you and stay tuned for more tip for more information on your books and hear more from you? Right. I'm at drfrankdrfranklippman.com. My book is my books are on Amazon. My last book, How to Be Well, is a classic. Uh, my new book on longevity, on how to, you know, the new rules of aging well is excellent. Um, and then I'm doing virtual consultations now as well. So I'm not only in-house. So I'm seeing people from all over the world, which I'm loving. Are you so, accepting new patients? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm doing more and more virtual stuff, which is great. Okay. So yeah, so um, you can tell your community that I'm, doing virtual you know I still I work with do zooms I work with my health coach she's on the call with us and it's fantastic it's been great no that's awesome because actually one of the questions I didn't ask was how to find a functional medicine doctor um if you had any Found him. I know so that's an even better okay well everyone can call Dr. Lippin now and I can personally attest for how awesome you are to work with so thank you so much for taking the time and I can't wait for everyone to listen to this episode Thank you, Rachel.